Hey everyone, hey, check it out. It's great to be here. It is Sunday evening. In fact, you know what it is. It's October 31. Uh, that's, this is that day the world celebrates Halloween. It also happens to be the COP26 meeting, the kickoff of it, uh, the uh, COP26 meeting in Glasgow. And it is that climate change stuff where they're going to decide how they're going to restrict us and put new, uh, new oppressive laws upon all of the world uh, because they are out to make sure that the planet is saved and we are all going to have our part. So we're going to have some very interesting things to report in the upcoming weeks regarding climate change laws. Uh, but uh, listen, just be ready. Hey, one more thing before we get going. Actually, two more things before we get going is if you want to stay connected with us on my website, hopeforourtimes.com, I have a stay connected button. And what that does, it enables you to just sign up to be on our email list. And then we will send you emails regarding events we have or special videos. Or if we get knocked off of YouTube, we can notify you by email and say, hey, we got kicked off of YouTube. However, you can still find us because we do now have our own server finally. And I want to thank everybody that has been donating for that. That is such a blessing. We are finally able to achieve that. We did our first official uh, too Hot for YouTube video just the other day on Thursday, and uh, we're, I'm looking forward to doing more of those, uh, but I uh, just want to make sure that everybody stay, stays connected as we get through this crazy stuff that's going on, this crazy world until Jesus comes. We want to make sure that we can get a hold of each other, so you can do that on the website. And then also on the website, we have an event coming up. I don't think it's on the event page yet, but it will be. And I am going to be in Florida in January. I'm speaking with uh, Jeff, Kin uh, Jeff Kinley and Todd Hampson and also Ed Heinsen and Don Perkins. It's going to be in Orlando, Florida. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. I hope that you can join me. It's going to be at the very end of January, the last weekend, that Friday and Saturday I'll be speaking. Um, i got to be back home from my home church on Sunday, but I'll be there Friday and Saturday. And uh, again, if I don't have the information there right now, it will be by the end of the, this week, within at least a couple of days, I'll have it up there. So that'll be on the events. I'm also going to be speaking in Las Vegas twice, uh, once in January, I think once in March. Um, I'm going to be speaking in Minnesota twice coming up also. So uh, pretty cool things happening. Anyways, okay, enough of that. Let's get going. And this is just uh, great. Okay, I want you to think about a few things. Okay, I reported a little bit of this during the week. And then I'm going to show you a video here in just a second, so hang on. Uh, but Brit Gillette writes this, and he said, Why the stage is set for the end times. And he writes, As a student of Bible prophecy for almost 30 years, and specifically end times Bible prophecy, no other time has seemed as close to the end times as right now. Why do I say this? Because particularly in the past year, the geopolitical and economic stage has been set for the fulfillment of several end times prophecies. We now have several potential crises on the horizon, and those potential crises are the same ones the Bible says we'll, we will experience either in the tribulation or the days immediately preceding the tribulation. And then he goes on to explain what those are. If I have enough time, I'll get into those at the end. And then think of this. Now, this is from the Solari Report. I report a little bit of this earlier in the week, too, when I was talking about uh, the economy. But think of this. In August of 2019, August 22, 2019, 
At the annual Jackson Hole, Wyoming meeting of central bankers, Philip Hildebrand of BlackRock presents a proposal by himself and three other BlackRock executives. The proposal is, get this, for going direct and is entitled Dealing with the Next Downturn from Unconventional Monetary Policy to Unprecedented Policy Coordination, proposing unprecedented coordination through a monetary finance fiscal facility. The paper advocates going direct when the next economic downturn takes place. So what is going direct? He explains it in this in the Solari report. And basically what he says, it is helicopter money. It's just printing up money and making sure that you drop it on all of the people. He continues, as it turned out, the key part of the first sentence in the block quote above, finding ways to get central bank money directly into the hands of public and private sector spenders was exactly what the Federal Reserve did during the pandemic that broke out just four months after BlackRock's paper, which turned out to be the script. They've, this, this whole thing is a script. Everything is a script. I want you to think about that, and you're going to see more of it here in a video I'm going to show you in just a second. But I think of this, the helicopter money planned in August August of 2019, and then you heard of Event 201. That was the whole event, what happens if there's a coronavirus, October of 2019. The whole thing is a script. And you look at this and you go, well, this is rather interesting. Think of the trillions and trillions of dollars that have been printed, helicopter money. Just as BlackRock said, things need to be done. And then we have this. This is from Michael Snyder, the perfect winter storm simultaneous shortage of oil, natural gas, propane, and coal affecting not just the United States, but it's affecting the whole world. It's affecting Europe, it's affecting Asia, you see what's going on in China, you watch what's going on all over the globe, kind of following the script. Folks, this is truly amazing. Then there's this, America becomes North Korea. Re-education camps announced by the CDC, grocery stores display cardboard food printouts to hide bare shelves while Biden babbles. Uh, this is from Mike Adams from Natural News. You start looking at this and you got cardboard cutouts in grocery stores. That's right, folks. You can find pictures of those in some grocery stores to make people feel like there's groceries there. You think you got to be making this up. I'm not making this stuff up. People sometimes will send me emails and they say, oh, I want to prove it. I couldn't find that article. Listen, you can find all of these articles. You can Google them yourself. You can find them. They're all out there. There you go. You can see them. You can get the titles. You can stop the screenshots and go search for yourself. Here's the one with Solari Report. You can read it. They're all following the script. The whole thing. Why the stage is set for end times. All of it. It's all out there. But then you have this. This article. The Wicked Witch of New Zealand. I think that's a really good fit for for uh, Halloween, right? October 31, the Wicked Witch of New Zealand. Yes, we are creating two classes of people. I'm sure by now most of you have seen this. Uh, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, smiles, this article says, about creating two classes of people, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Listen, I've watched the video with her where she actually says that. She's joyful. Woohoo! Two classes of citizens. Good citizens, they got the boop, the shot. Bad citizens, they didn't. And you watch the freedoms being eliminated of people who are considered bad citizens. Folks, this is a script that is being followed. But praise God, we have 
this script, the script of the Lord, although these other globalists and other people got their plans, guess what? Jesus wins. Now I'm going to show you something else. If you want to think about this whole thing following a script, I'm going to show you a video here in just a second. It's only 30 sec uh, one minute long, excuse me. And guess what? There's a paid script that you're hearing. And guess who the sponsor is of the paid script that you're hearing? All the narrative we're hearing, you wonder why all the media goes the same way, all of the politicians all go the same way. Check out this video and guess who is paying to make sure everything is said the correct way. Guess who it is? You're going to find out. You buy Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. So, listen... You watch that and you go, wow, no, these things are not a coincidence. There's a script that the enemy of our souls is following. He's written it. He has his minions that are out there. But praise God, we have the word of God. And, and I just look at some of these things and I cannot help but think, wow, the interesting days that we are living in. So we are continuing with the minor prophets. And we are here, uh, minor prophets, major events. Why are they called the minor prophets? They're not uh, minor because of the content of them, but they're listed as minor because, they, uh, because of um, the volume. Uh, they're shorter books. They're smaller books. For example, Isaiah is a huge book. Ezekiel is a huge book. Jeremiah is a huge book. The minor prophets are just smaller in volume, but they have the powerful content of the major prophets. So minor prophets, major events. The title of this evening is frightening, The Frightening Signs from Joel Chapter 2. So let's think about what some of the frightening signs are from Joel chapter 2. So I'm just going to recap the first 11 verses. We already saw them last time, uh, but in the first 11 verses of Joel chapter 2, uh, it's a day of darkness and, and gloominess, a day of, the, of clouds and uh, thick darkness, verse 2. Verse 3, a fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. Behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. So remember with Joel, if you've been following with us in the book of Joel, he's using this locust invasion. But he's talking about judgment, a very real locust invasion that happened. The people have it in their memories. But he's talking about a judgment that's coming. He doesn't just deal with the immediate judgment that was coming, but he also projects us all the way into the tribulation period. Amazing. So we have these dual fulfillments that are going on. And tonight, he's even going to project us into the glorious time of the millennial kingdom. But this is absolutely fascinating. So he has these different things. A fire de devours before them. Before them, writhe in, the people writhe in vain, verse 6. All faces are drained of color. So again, he's got this, this uh, locust invasion. 
and then projecting how bad it is, but he's talking about people that are actually invading the cities, armies that are coming in. The locusts are the illustration to show the real judgment that is coming. They don't push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They climb into the houses. The earthquakes before them, verse 10. The heavens tremble. Now listen to this, okay? The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? It is the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Let's think of this as we think of things. Um, just think of some of the other things that are going on in this world right now. We have the Anti-Defamation League faces black, uh, backlash for guide on avoiding gender norms for Halloween costumes. Okay, folks, this is the world that we live in. Okay, so projecting your mind back to ancient Israel, Joel is prophesying, he's using this locust invasion to say, hey, judgment's coming and it's going to be bad. These people, these Babylonians are going to come. The Assyrians are going to come. In the tribulation period, you're going to have this global new world order and antichrist and all of that. But what was going on with ancient Israel? What was going on with Judah? And what is going on in the last days? Uh, the people have gotten all kinds of weird, perverted things, saying you can't believe in God. Did God really say that? Not trusting in God anymore, not being surrendered to God anymore, having all kinds of idol worship, pagan worship, and on down the list, right? And in this case... We look at the last days Isaiah prophesied about the time when people would call right wrong and wrong right. And you have gender norms. Listen, here's a gender norm. How about man and woman? How about boy or girl? But here it is. The Anti-Defamation League says you have to avoid gender norms for Halloween costumes. That is absolutely ridiculous. So there's no such thing as a superman or superwoman because they're gender, Right. Uh, Spider-Man or, wh or whatever it is. You start looking, you go, bionic woman, whatever it is you want to dress like. Can't be a cowboy, can't be a cowgirl. Got to avoid gender norms. This is just weird stuff. But it gets even weirder. Check this out. Biden administration denies biological reality, issues first passport with X gender option. How far have we fallen in America? or wherever you are in the world. What's it like where you live? I don't know if it's as bad where you guys live. Send, send me your notes. I don't know if it's as bad where you live if you're not in America. Here in America, this, this place is woke. This place is messed up. This, I mean, think of this. It's so much so, look what Putin says. Putin blasts pushing, look at this, Putin blasts pushing transgenderism on children as simply monstrous in critique of West's wokeism. This is Putin who says this. You say, you've got to be kidding me. No, we're not kidding. This is what's happening here in America. I don't know if it's like that, if it's that bad in, 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 over in Europe or in Africa or in, in China or over in the Mideast. I'm sure, I can't imagine it. Obviously, look at this coming from Russia, from Putin. Well, listen, our leaders have lost their minds. I look and go, I'll tell you what, here's a real frightening sign. In fact, number one, I only have two main points. The first one is the frightening signs, right? And you look at this, here's a frightening sign, the, the, the messed up world that we live in. But here in Joel, again, he's using this, this locust invasion. 
talking about frightening signs. And in it, notice he does say this. I want to read it to you again. The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish in their brightness. You know what this reminds me of? The words of Jesus, Luke chapter 21, where Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then he goes on and says, men's hearts will fail them from the fear and expectation of the things that are coming upon the planet. Men are going to be afraid. They're going to see signs out there in the stars. And then they're also going to be afraid of the other things that are coming uh, uh, upon the planet. So what else could be coming upon the planet? Well, look at this one. Alarm bells are sounding of global financial crash as China fears debt default. That's from End Time Headlines. Here's another one from End Time Headline. Now Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is warning that hyperinflation will happen soon in the U.S. and the world. So, I mean, if, if Jack Dorsey is saying this, listen, he's part of this globalist narrative. They're letting us know the direction that things are going to go. So it's just thinking of these things. When we look at these things, men's hearts failing them from the fear and expectation of the things that are coming upon the planet. But again, what does Joel say? Joel says, sun and moon grow dark. The stars diminish in their brightness, right? The heavens tremble. What does Jesus say? Uh, basically, there'll be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he said the heavens will be shaken. Check out this next thing. Look at this article here. Astronomers, check this out. Astronomers eye giant space volcano comet spewing cryomagma. Listen to this. The comet is about as weird as one can get and is more active than has been in decades. Comet 29P as seen by the Spitzer Space Telescope. One of the most bizarre objects in our solar system is this comet, which is cruising around space at 26,000 miles per hour and repeatedly erupting with so-called cryomagma as it goes. In fact, it strains the definition of comet, writes astronomer Tony Phillips at spaceweather.com, Really, giant space volcano might be a better description. You think of that, I want you to think of this. This is what Revelation chapter 8 says. Speaking of signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. Then a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. This is the description of a comet. Burning like a torch. And many men died, burning like a torch, excuse me, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. You look at this and you go, whoa, you look at a, 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 this giant space volcano. Um, I'm not saying that this is Wormwood, by the way. I'm not saying that at all. But you look at these signs in the sky, people are freaking out. Scientists are all the time, you hear it all the time. Now, oh, there might be an asteroid that's going to hit us. Listen, I'm not worried about an asteroid that's going to hit us. I believe I'm going to be raptured before that ever happens, or at least before the judgment happens. We could have other things happen before God's wrath. But as I look at this, this is what the Bible does teach in Revelation chapter 6 with the sixth seal, that the stars will fall from the sky like figs falling from a tree late in season. And the word stars is the Greek word, uh, is the Greek word, I can't even remember what it is right now. What is that Greek word? I think it's asteroid. We get our English word asteroid, uh, and it would also apply to meteorites, uh, and it would apply to comets too. So you look at that, and you're thinking, okay, they're going to fall from the sky like figs falling from a tree. They're going to plummet the earth. 
I'm not going to be here for that. But we are seeing these bizarre things out there, witnessing those things will only increase. I'm going to be raptured before Revelation chapter 6 happens, and I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, I'm looking at this going, this is absolutely amazing. Okay, I said there's only two points, two main points. And then we're going to look at the millennium because it's absolutely fantastic. So we have, number one, the frightening signs. Number two, what do we have? The glorious salvation. Uh, verse 12 says this, of uh, uh, Joel chapter 2. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, <clears throat> with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. In other words, he doesn't want to destroy. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, Call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep before the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God. This is just a cry out for repentance. And God is saying, listen, you see these signs, you see what's happening, you hear the warnings of the prophets. Listen, you better turn and repent. Every single one of you, he just listened. The children, the nursing babies, the elders, the priests, all those who minister before the Lord, all of the people, gather them all. Sanctify the congregation, consecrate a fast. Everybody needs to fall and turn to the Lord. That's what's going on here. So A, what do we have in this, in this glorious salvation? We are told to turn to him, to turn to the Lord. This is about repentance. What, what does repentance mean? To repent is to make a U-turn, is to make a conscious decision to turn from your sin and to surrender to the Lord. Uh, that's what repent is. It's a decision of your mind. It's not a feeling. You recognize I'm not right with God. God is holy and I'm not. So here in Joel, what do we find? It's this, is it consecrate a fast, call the sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, weep. Wow. Cry out before the Lord. So it, this is talking about a genuine, uh, a genuine repentance that is necessary. But notice this in verse 13. It says this. Rend your heart and not your garments. What is that about? Here's the deal. Here's what God is saying. I don't want fake repentance. You know, you, you read a lot in the, in the Old Testament where people would rend their garments. And sometimes it was legitimate when David did it. Uh, King Hezekiah did it, Jacob did it, Mordecai I did it in the book of Esther. And it was genuine, external, and internal. However, you think of the high priest when Jesus was crucified. I've heard enough, and he rendered his garment. That wasn't repentance. That was fake. That was phony. In fact, he had Jesus crucified. That's what's being said here. Don't be a fake anymore. Don't be a phony anymore. This is a warning. Judgment is coming, and you better be right with the Lord. He doesn't want any phony, fake repentance. It is not going to get you into heaven. He doesn't want the fake tears. He doesn't want any of that stuff. To him, that stuff is just garbage. 
It's just, it's just, this religion, stop practicing your religion. Get right with God. Listen, think about this. Here's something to think about. When we are right with God, we look forward to the day of the Lord. But when we are not right with God, we dread the day of the Lord. There's many people out there saying, man, I don't want to hear a message like this about a judgment and Jesus coming again and all of that kind of stuff. I don't need to hear about that crazy kind of talk. I don't want to hear it. Listen, that's the problem. When we're right with God, we look forward to, oh, Jesus, come quickly. But when we are not right with God, we dread that day and we're saying, Lord, we don't want you coming. Listen, this is a call in Joel chapter 2 to examine our hearts. That's what's going on here. And a lot of, listen, a lot of people say, we don't want that kind of message today. We don't, we don't need that kind of message. Did you know the Bible is full of these kinds of messages? Just full of them. Well, we just want a soft preacher. We just want a preacher who's just going to tell us nice things and, and make our ears itch. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, that's exactly the kind of doctrine that's going to be taught in the last days, the Bible says, because the people raise up for themselves teachers to itch their ears, make them feel good, and they will not receive the doctrine of truth, but they will turn to, to uh, myths and fables, pleasant thoughts, pleasant things. Listen, are you there? Listen, you don't want to be doing that. The Bible, listen, Jesus himself said, narrow is the path that leads to life, and there's few that find it. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. It's an understanding of this need to repent. Listen, think of this, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we are told it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And also in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, with loving kindness, God draws us. It's with loving kindness God draws us. However, the Bible also tells us that he won't strive with man forever. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he does say this, God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 2 Peter chapter 3, that entire context is, is about the second coming of Christ and scoffers in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? And in that context, he lets us know, God will not strive with man forever. God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but that day will be shut. Listen, I think of these words of Joel. It's a cry for repentance. And I think of the words of the Bible that Second Peter has and these other passages I've already quoted. And then I think of this. You can look it up yourself. Fact check me. Pull. Majority of Christians shrug off the way, the truth, and the life. Did you hear about this? Listen to this. A poll of born-again Christian believers found that an overwhelming majority believe all roads lead to heaven. A cornerstone of the Christian faith and explicitly laid out in Scripture is the belief that Jesus Christ is quite literally the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, He is the way to God in the afterlife. That naturally would mean being in God's presence would depend on belief in Jesus. Yet according to a poll by Probe Ministries, 70% of Christians... 70% of self-proclaimed, born-again followers of Christ do not believe that Jesus' words are true. They don't believe that, um, it, listen, it's Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verse 6, fact check me, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, 
No one comes to the Father except by me. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to receive you to myself, that's where I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring you there. If I'm going to go, I'll bring you to my, I'll receive you there. I'm preparing this place called heaven. But you will not get there unless you come through me. I am the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't say I'm a way, a truth, a life. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And then he says, nobody, zip, zero, comes to the Father except by me. You aren't going to get there. He says zero. Those are the words of Jesus. Oh, that's, I can't believe that. So when you see a poll of 70% of self-proclaimed born-again Christians saying, well, that's not really true, that means they don't really believe Jesus. What they believe is their own feelings. What they believe is what the professor told them. What they believe is what their false pastor told them. What they believe is what their friend told them. What they believe is just their own philosophy. And what they, they don't believe Jesus. It's like they believe anybody but Jesus. It's Jesus who said this. Fact check me. John chapter 14, verse 6. He said it. And yet you have 70% when you, uh, of self-proclaimed born-again Christians that do not believe this. To me, that's a remarkable number. Uh, th think about that just in and of itself. Um, when you look at the Bible and you see in the last days people are believing doctrines of demons, they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Jesus says, will I even find any faith? And you start looking at the Bible, you start going, well, the Bible seems to paint a picture that people are going to be leaving the church, not really believing the truth, but thinking they're saved, but they're not really saved. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, there's going to be the day when you're going to say, well, we did this in your name, and we did that in your name, and we did this in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Wow. I never knew you. We've got to be careful and understand uh, what it really means to be saved and surrendered. And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What matters is, who does Jesus say he is? And do you believe that? So A, it's turn to him. B, the, the next part of this is, uh, it's be saved. It's, it's be saved. Look at this um, in uh, verse uh, 18. We're almost done here. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. Look, and this is the land restored. This launches us into the millennial kingdom. This is awesome. Check this out. And you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. In other words, he's talking about restoring Israel. No longer will they ever again be a reproach. They're a reproach now. They've been a reproach since their existence. God says that's never going to happen. Uh, that's, I'm putting an end to that. When does that happen? When Jesus comes back and the people say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I will remove far from you the northern army. In other words, verse 20, there's a northern army that's coming against Israel. God says, I'll take care of that northern army. Hmm, who could that be? And will drive him away into barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. There's an army from the north coming against Israel. It's got monstrous intentions against Israel. God says, I'll deal with that monstrous enemy that's coming from the north. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Woo! 
Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. He's talking about the restoration of the land. This is a glorious thing. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats will overflow with new wine wine and oil. This is marvelous. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt, dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. This is the millennial kingdom. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. You've been destroyed all of your existence, Israel. No moss. It's not going to happen anymore. My people will never be put to shame. It's talking about never going to happen again. That's all over. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. When is he in the midst of Israel again? When he comes back and rules and reigns from Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. Folks, this is, this is so cool to me. I want you to think of this, though, before we go into the millennial kingdom. We're almost done. But again, back in verse 20, who's the monstrous army from the north? Could be Armageddon, some commentaries say that. I tend to think this is the picture of, of Russia. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, when Russia invades from the north, the far north, read it yourself. They come down, what happens? You see in chapter 39, God says, nope, I am done. I'm the one that's going to deal with the monstrous army. I am going, the one who is going to bless Israel. Listen, real quick, just, just check this out, right? Look at this. Look at this. Russia and Israel. This is going on right now. This is uh, this week, at the end of last week, and then this week, um, October 22. That was last uh, Friday, I think. Russia and Israel have a special relationship. What? Well, that didn't happen before Joe Biden pulled out of Afghanistan. Bada boom, bada bing. It did not happen before Biden pulled our troops out of Afghanistan. What's happened now? Russia is now the king of the Mideast. They're making all these agreements with everybody, and now... Russia and Israel have a special relationship. Ah, it's going to be a deceiving relationship. Why on earth would I say something so horrible? Because Ezekiel chapter 38 teaches Russia is going to invade. It's going to happen. They're going to invade Israel. But not only do we learn the victory from Ezekiel 39, we also learn here from Joel chapter 2, verse 20. What happens? God says, I'll deal with that monstrous army from the north. And then check this out. Jerusalem Post. Bennett uh, says, Putin is attentive to Israel's security needs. I look at this and I think security needs. Um, folks, we live in incredible days. Uh, and looking at what's going on right now with Israel, Russia, saying we've got a special relationship. Putin is attentive to Israel's security needs. What do we have a time when Israel's living in peace and safety when the invasion from Russia comes in? But again, not only does Ezekiel 39 say Russia's going to be destroyed, this monster from the north. Right here, Joel chapter 2, verse 20, a passage that's often overlooked. 
But back to the rest of this. Israel's living in peace. God, when God comes back, not when Russia blesses them, not when Antichrist does, but when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. It even tells us here in verse 22 that even the brown grass turns green. Listen, right now, if you were to have an opportunity to go over to Israel, which is kind of difficult these days, um, that you'll, you'll notice that there's all kinds of produce that's grown. The, the vineyards are, there's vineyards everywhere. There's produce, there's fruit trees all over the place. And, and they're able to supply much of the world with, with fruit, with produce, with grapes, with wine, and, and all sorts of things. God even talks about restoring that. But what God is talking about in Joel 2 is not the restoration now. Yes, I'm bringing them back into the land. These things are starting to happen. But when the Messiah returns, the millennial kingdom is going to be absolutely marvelous. And that is going to be the fulfillment of these things when, uh, when Israel is like the Garden of Eden. Very last thing. So we have A, turn to him. B, we have be saved. And last thing, C, is be restored. And that is what he's talking about. I'm going to restore Israel. I'm going to restore my people. He's been bringing them back. But this restoration, God isn't done with the restoration yet. Um, just, this is just so cool. When you think of it, again, we look back here in, in Joel chapter 2. Uh, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So uh, let's think about this. What is this? What is this? mean. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. There's personal application that you can say here. Um, I look at my own life and I can say the years that I ruined, God has restored the years that the locusts have eaten. Uh, yes, this is true. God has done it. But I was asked a question recently. Someone said, are all the promises of the, of the Bible, um, all the promises to Israel, are they all for the Christian? And I said, well, it it, it, you got to be careful how you say that because this promise here of Joel chapter 2, it's a promise to Israel, directly it's a promise to Israel that God is going to restore Israel in the millennial kingdom. All the years of the locusts have eaten, all the destruction you've gone through is what he's talking about. From your very beginning, all of the persecution, the anti-Semitism and all of that, God says, I'm going to restore, I'm going to bless, the land is going to be marvelous, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. So the promise directly is for the nation of Israel, but personally, I will make application because God does restore the years that the locusts have eaten. But I want to close with these thoughts, right? Because to me, this is really off the charts and you got to see this. Okay, so are you ready? This is going to be kind of fast. So um, take your screenshots, take your pictures with your phone or whatever, go back and look at it later because you're going to want to because you're going to find this out right now. Like I said, it's going to be kind of fast, but here we go. You ready? So first thing is this, what will the millennium be like? What will the millennial kingdom be like when Jesus comes back and he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem? I'll tell you right now, it will be very Jewish. The millennial kingdom will be Jewish in character. It's not going to be centered in New York. It's going to be centered in Jerusalem. Jesus is coming back. As I mentioned many times before, and even tonight I've already mentioned it, when Jesus, he, he told the, the Pharisees, um, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you say, Hosanna, Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. The millennial kingdom is going to be very Jewish. Okay, now you ready? Here these go, and they're going to be kind of fast. Yeah, again, you're going to want to take pictures. These are something you're going to want to keep until we're raptured. You're going to want to share it with people when they have questions. What will the kingdom be like? It will be characterized by peace. Isaiah chapter 2, 
Verse 4, the Bible says, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay, check this out. Here's the picture. This is at the UN. This sculpture was donated by Russia. You know what that is? That is beating the sword into plowshares. This was the idea of the UN. In fact, the UN went so far to even have this uh, put up uh, uh, on a big wall at the UN building, at, at the UN um, uh, uh, location uh, on their property over in New York. Look at this. It's a quote that I just read from Isaiah. It's the exact same quote. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Listen, and, and they won't know war anymore, right? This is, listen, I, I can tell you this much right now. Uh, carving it into a statue, carving Isaiah into a statue at the United Nations won't make it so. Human effort won't make it so. All these globalists, all these, these kings of the world are trying to create their own utopian world to fulfill the words of Isaiah. It is not going to happen. They can try as hard as they want, not until Jesus comes. Let's go on. Continue from there. Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leper shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Micah chapter 4. What else? Will it be characterized in this peaceful time? So you have, there won't be war anymore during that peaceful time. Um, in fact, by the way, let me go back to that thought. The UN is trying to usurp God's authority by saying, we're the ones that are going to bring peace to this world. God says, no, you're going to mess everything up. Jesus is coming. He's going to bring peace to the world. So you have no more war, but you're also going to have no more fighting between the animals. That was the passage that we just read about. Then you have this in Micah chapter 4. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord hosts, uh, of hosts has spoken for all people walk each in the name of his God, but we shall walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So it's a, a time characterized by peace. It's a time characterized by justice. Isaiah chapter 11, he, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with the righteous. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, only during the time of the Lord will there be genuine equity. Think of that. I don't care what the UN says and the Biden regime says. He, the Lord, shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. It'll be characterized by peace, characterized by justice, characterized by unity. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It'll be characterized by abundance. I told you guys these were going to be fast. Uh, the wilderness, Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. It'll be characterized by healing. Then 
The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. This is so cool. It'll be characterized by righteousness. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. It'll be characterized by joy. We're almost done. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I think, man, when I hear something like that, I cannot help but think of C.S. Lewis and, um, and, 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 and some of the things that he wrote. And, and you see videos of, of books that he wrote, and you, you see the animals and, or, or, that talk, and you see the trees that are throwing things and getting involved and talking and things like that. And I look at a verse like this, The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I don't know if this is going to be literally fulfilled in the tribulation, in, in the, excuse me, in the millennial kingdom, but that would be pretty awesome. I'll tell you that much. That would be cool. It'll be characterized by longevity. We're almost done here, folks. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Um, but longevity, right? The child 100 years old and so forth. Um, I was asked recently a question. In fact, it was with James Cadiz uh, this week. I think it was on Tuesday on his live program. Will there be um, sin in the millennial kingdom? And um, yeah, there is going to be. You look at this verse here, Isaiah chapter 65. Yes, there will be sin in the millennial kingdom. It'll be characterized by productivity. We are so close to being done. Hang on just another minute. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. It'll be characterized by the fulfillment of promises to Israel. Just one more after this. Isaiah chapter 66. For as, new, as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Wow, this is a promise. This is a forever and ever and ever and ever promise to Israel. That is just absolutely fantastic. And then the very last one, it'll be characterized by the physical presence of Christ. Actually, we have one more after this. In mercy, in mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. And then finally, it'll be characterized by the reign of Christ. Here it is. You ready? Isaiah chapter 9, we hear it at Christmas every year. This isn't just a Christmas passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. I look at all of these things. You can bring it back to me, Matthew. Thank you. Um, I look at all of these things here. That was a lot. That was a lot to go through. Thank you for staying with me during it. Um, I, I look at this and I think, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Folks, hold on to that list. People ask you, what's the millennial kingdom going to be like? Now you know. Make that list. Take pictures of it. Keep it. Share it. Remind yourself it is going to be absolutely fantastic. But even the last passage, Christmas is going to be here shortly. Remember the Isaiah chapter 9 passage. It was fulfilled partially when Jesus came the first time. It's going to be fulfilled completely when Jesus returns, when he establishes it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. It is going to be totally, completely awesome. Listen, Jesus saves. I want to go back to the final thing, the personal application. God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That's what that was all about. Everything that I just said, it's the millennial kingdom. He's restoring the kingdom of Israel. He's going to bless them again. But, but also, there is a personal application to, you can apply it to yourself, that, listen, if you've messed up, you surrender your life to Christ, and Christ will forgive you, He will restore to you the years that the locusts defeat, and the sin has destroyed your life. He will do it. And all you got to do is ask Him to forgive you. Finally, think of this. Jesus said, now when you see these things, you look at all the things we were talking about in this, when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Amen. Listen, I hope you enjoyed that time. I've got a few questions. Do we have any time for questions? Got, got a little bit of time? Okay, ready? So I had some questions that came in earlier in the week. I did an Instagram, you remember that? And I said, hey, I want to answer some of these. I was actually able to answer some of these on Thursday night's program on his channel. Um, <clears throat> these are ones I wasn't able to get to yet. So this one comes from Daniel. Daniel, thank you for your question. In fact, I'm going to start doing this more often on Instagram and taking live questions, doing both because I get so many. But here's what Daniel asks. When can we see the destruction of Damascus? Daniel, that's from Isaiah chapter 17. You probably know that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 17 talks about the time when Damascus will be destroyed in a night. I believe it's one of the next events on the calendar. Listen, the, the uh, rapture is, a, is, a, is an event that could happen at any moment. We might not see the destruction of Damascus. We could be out of here before then. But the destruction of Mas Damascus is a last day's event. Ezekiel chapter 38 is a last day's event. Um, and, and so we might not be here to see either of those or um, both of those. Um, I believe Ezekiel chapter 30 happens definitely after the rapture in the beginning of the tribulation period for reasons I'll get to because I had another question on that I won't be able to answer tonight. Um, but uh, Isaiah chapter 17 could happen at any time. It appears from Isaiah chapter 17, Israel destroys Damascus. Could happen at any time. Could happen before the rapture, might not happen until after the rapture, but there's a very good chance that we could see it. Okay, this next question comes from Disney Matterhorn. Could you shed some light on Revelation chapter 9, uh, King James Version? Um, yes, I can. Uh, chapter 9, verse 6, King James Version. I'll, I'll do the New King James first. It, it means the same thing, by the way, uh, in both King James and New King James. 
but in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Okay, we got to put this, can't just have a verse out there. Let's put it into the context. So I'm going to read it. I'll read it in New King James in context, and then I'll read the King James uh, also Bible version of, uh, of that. So uh, in context, Isaiah chapter 9, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a, a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority uh, to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, here it is, Men will seek death and will not be able to find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Okay, so with that, now this is what it says in Revelation chapter 9, King James Version. I'm just going to read the one verse that you ask about, verse 6. And it says this in verse 6, Revelation chapter 9. Verse 6 simply says, I'll find it here. I lost it. There it is. In those days, it says the same thing. In those days, men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall, not, shall flee from them. So if, if you don't take it out of context, it makes sense. There's a judgment that comes on the planet and it is with this, it is the fifth trumpet judgment. And in the fifth trumpet judgment, these demons go around, they, they, they appear like scorpions, but they don't kill people. And, and in fact, they're even commanded, you cannot kill anybody. Think about we're just with Joel with the locust invasion, an, an illustration of judgment in the last days. Also, we have this with the scorpions, this illustration, but it's these demon creatures that are going to appear to look like scorpions, but they're only going to sting people who, don't, who aren't sealed with God. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're only going to sting the people who aren't sealed with God, and the people that they sting with this demonic sting, God says, you can't kill them. Much like Job. Remember when Job, uh, Satan wanted to destroy Job's life, and, and God said, you can do this to Job and this Job, but you can't kill him. You can't take his life. Same thing here. God's saying, okay, you can do to all these people who don't know me. You're going to torment them, but you can't kill them. You can't take their life. They won't be able to die. They're going to want to die. They're going to beg to die, but they will not be able to die. That is just part of the judgment that uh, comes upon them. Um, last question. Uh, how much of a gap period could there be from the rapture to the beginning of the tribulation period? Um, in fact, I'm going to take one more question after this. Um, uh, how, how much of the gap period? So the rapture takes place. Uh, then the tribulation does not begin until the confirmation of the covenant with Antichrist, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9. So rapture takes place, tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, could happen a week later, could happen three years later. I have friends and colleagues that, that go all over the map. I have one friend that says, yeah, probably about seven years. I don't see it. Uh, Don Stewart says he thinks it will happen shortly after the rapture. I tend to believe, Don Drake, I believe there is a gap. Uh, there's enough of a gap for a lot of chaos and different things to be taking place, but then Antichrist is going to be able to confirm this covenant. Antichrist is going to be on the scene and, and uh, do what he's going to do. Uh, but exactly how long that gap is, I really, uh, I, I really, um, 
I don't know how long the gap is. I can only guess. Could be, could be a, a month, could be a, a year. I, I don't know. Um, I tend to believe it's going to be somewhere in between that time frame, between a, a couple of weeks and up to a year, but I don't think it'll be longer than that. In fact, I doubt it'll even be a whole year. Um, if, last question, then, I, then I'm going to have to go after this one. If Babylon needs time to be rebuilt, is it likely that the tribulation is far off or a big time gap after the rapture if it's soon? Um, so that's a great question. I, I believe that um, the Babylon of Revelation chapter 18 is going to be located in the place of Babylon where it originally was in Iraq. Um, if that's the case, it has to be rebuilt the way it's looking right now. It ain't looking like the tribulation would be very close at all. However, remember this. Right now, there's a 15% global tax on this green initiative that I think is 90% of the, the, the um, um, nations in the world have said we're going to put into this global tax. So they're pouring in trillions of dollars into, into the green initiative. I imagine that these people, these countries, are going to be pouring in their trillions of dollars with more taxes to build Babylon because they want to build their utopian kingdom and say, here's our capital of the world. We need a world capital. I think that's where they're going to go. They're looking for it. That's where it began. It's going to go back there. And once that money starts to flood in, I don't think it's going to take that long of a time to build it. And then also a good point about the rapture. Rapture takes place. After the rapture, they start working on it. It could be. We finally got those crazy Christians out of the way. But um, anyways, we don't know for sure exactly the timing on these things. But nevertheless, fun to talk about. And uh, listen, I had a great time with you guys tonight. And uh, God bless you guys. See ya. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.